Welcome back to Pedagogy Non Grata, where we bridge the gap between scientific literature and teaching in the classroom. Today I'm going to be talking about the controversy surrounding Fontes and Pinal in my latest meta-analysis of the topic. But before I begin, I kind of wanted to address uh, a little bit of controversy that I embroiled myself in this last week as uh, the host of this podcast and the author of the blog for Pedagogy Non Grata. Uh, last week I published a meta-analysis on our website on the topic of decodable texts. I have to say, it was not received well. Um, a lot of people in the evidence-based community, I think, aligned themselves along phonics. And with that, I think a lot of people saw um, decodable text as a part of that, that movement um, and therefore took it quite personally when I came out and said that there was very little evidence in support of decodable text increasing learning of uh, reading. Um, However, none of these uh, criticisms actually focused on the uh, material itself. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the criticisms seemed to be directed at me personally. Um, and there seemed to be this idea that I had betrayed the evidence-based community by publishing this data. Um, that was hard for me, actually, if I'm being totally honest, because a big part of what this podcast has been about is about um, saying the, or an, viewing the truth is what the data reveals itself to be. So this, this podcast is all based on meta-analysis data in education. Um, and, you know, in our early episodes, we said that we should question everything and uh, hold nothing as sacred. And for me, that includes decodable texts, regardless of whether or not a lot of people in the same family of education uh, beliefs of me agree with it. And it wasn't so much to say that decodable texts were positive or, or negative, sorry. It was to say that there just wasn't any strong evidence in support of using them. And considering they cost money, I, I thought it was fair to say that the evidence in favor of it was quite weak. In fact, the, there was not one study that showed a statistically significant impact for decodable texts. Um, and there were a few studies that showed a negative impact. Um, overall, the the impact uh, size or the effect size was shown to be statistically insignificant, but positive. Um, but I, I think it's really important that if we call ourselves evidence-based in this community, that we have to hold that as a value. Evidence-based does not mean being a part of a, a tribal group of education scholars who believe in certain practices. Evidence-based means that we, we, ex we accept what the evidence says, and we accept that it's truth. Um, that doesn't mean that truth doesn't change or evolve, because there could be, you know, four new studies that come out tomorrow that show decodable text to be super helpful, and I'd have to change my opinion. But until that research is done, my opinion is based off of the current research that's already out there. And the current research shows that uh, decodable texts are not an evidence-based practice. Um, I looked at every study to the best of my knowledge done on the topic, and there, there admittedly weren't very many. If my memory serves me correct, there were only six studies done on the topic. So there's a lot of room for more research. But again, being evidence-based means that we accept what the evidence says rather than being upset about what the evidence says. I was actually watching a movie recently and it had a quote that is kind of cheesy, but I thought uh, applies. And the, the quote was, um, if you're searching for the truth, hold no opinion. Personally, I don't really feel emotionally invested in what the research says. 
Um, I try to just report on the research as an objective outsider. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes have opinions, but um, for example, I'm a really big believer in using action research frameworks um, such as RTI. If new data emerged tomorrow that shed light on the old data, making it look less appealing and less evidence-based than we once thought, I would change my opinion and say that I was wrong and that action research frameworks are not a good idea in the classroom. Anyways, that all aside, that long monologue and rant, I feel like I was a little repetitive, so I apologize to the listener, is over. So I'm going to focus on Fontes and Pinal. So Fontes and Pinal has um, been in the, the media a little bit lately because they've been under some intense qualitative criticism. Um, people have argued that it's not um, based on the science of reading because they focus a lot on silent reading, um, three cueing, and they downplay the importance of phonics. Um, although they do have some phonics in their program, LLI. Um, although that being said, that phonics is analytic, not synthetic, which we know is better. Um, but there wasn't a lot of talk about the program's research itself. The focus seemed to be that the individual tenants of the program were not evidence-based, not that uh, the program wasn't evidence-based. So their program is LLI, which is Level Literacy Instruction. And... I went to do a meta-analysis of the topic or find a meta-analysis of the topic. And the last one that I could see even looked at it was the NRP. And it wasn't, uh, it's quite old now and there wasn't a lot of papers analyzed in it. So I decided to do my own. And I started off on the Fontes and Pinal website because the Fontes and Pinal website has a series or a bibliography of studies that they claim support the efficacy of its program. Now I have to admit, I have a problem with their bibliography right off the hop. For one thing, they excluded all the studies that showed their program to be negative or, and all the studies that were very statistically insignificant, and there were a few. Um, and on top of that, I think they have six studies up on their website. Five of the six studies were done by the same researchers. Um, and then those studies on their surface looked really, really strong. They were all randomized control trials. They all had large sample sizes, um, and they published their raw data which I like. However, in order to um, make sure that I was being as accurate and fair as possible, I recalculated all the effect sizes from their literature and all their studies so that I was using the same effect size calculation. Because some, some studies use um, you know, Hedges G or Cohen's D um, or some other type of effect size calculation. I wanted to make sure it was all the same calculation so that we were comparing apples to apples. That being said, I did have to make an exception for two studies that did not include their raw data. Now, while I was going through the raw data for the um, studies on the Fontes Pinal website, they're all done, by the way, by the Center of Research um, Policy and Education out of the University of Memphis. Um, there were some anomalies in their data. For example, uh, there was a section where they had a very, very large um, effect size in one of the studies, like over three, which isn't even a super effect size. It's something beyond that. To the point where I wonder if it's a statistical anomaly to begin with, that they've done something wrong with the calculation. My guess being that the sample size was too small to calculate a proper effect size. Um, and worse, they repeated this effect size in three spots, and they had um, identical statistical data to support it. So they had, even though it was supposed to be three different um, mini-experiments within the study, they had the same standard deviations for both pretest, post-test, for both control and experiment, 
And then they had the same differences for both pretest, post-test of control and um, experiment group. The, I mean, the statistical probability of that happening, I think, is almost zero. So they obviously just claimed the same demographic um, group in multiple places to increase the um, statistical support for their uh, program. Um, and I, I thought that was quite sketchy. Another thing that I noticed they did is they're, they published the data in a weird way. So rather than publishing um, data for every group that they studied, because um, they broke it down by race and by achievement levels and by grade, they had different races evaluated and different um, achievement levels and different tests used in different grades. So for example, in one, in one area, they might have um, black students, white students, Hispanic students, high achieving white students, high achieving black students, low achieving white students, low achieving black students. Um, and then in the next grade, they would do just Hispanic students. So considering the sample sizes were in the hundreds, I thought that was very weird. It made me wonder if they excluded data when it didn't support their thesis or the hypothesis that they were hoping to present. Now, that's a pretty big uh, accusation to make, and I, I don't have any proof of that, other than the fact that they just, the demographics and the tests used weren't consistent. So sometimes you'd use one test for grade three and a different test for grade two, and there wasn't an explanation as to why they did that. Um, and I, I thought that was very unusual and very suspicious. Now, that being said, like I said, these studies on their face look really well done. They're uh, done by an independent institute. They're randomized control trials. Um, they have very large sample sizes. So they do look good. And they do publish their raw data, which makes it possible for people like me to come in and recalculate their effect sizes, which usually, I think, is a sign of integrity. Um, however, their studies were far more positive than all the studies that were not done by the Center of Research um, Policy and Education. In fact, there was a, a very large difference. So um, I'm going to bring up the data, and I'll, I'll share the data with you from the uh, meta-analysis that I did. And if my, my document will load. Sorry, guys. Sorry, here I am right now. Um, so if we look at the, uh, the overall average mean effect size, um, we get an effect size of 0.38. How if we, however, if we only look at the effect sizes published on the Fontas Pinal website, we get a 0.47 effect size. And if we exclude these studies because um, of the concerns I elicited earlier, we get an effect size of 0.09. So 0.09 compared to 0.47 is a dramatically different effect. We're looking at an effect size that's statistically insignificant compared to an effect size that's moderate, not small, moderate. Um, what I did, however, is I thought I should just correct for the outliers because there's one really super positive study out of the Fontas and Pinal um, uh, bibliography, and there was one super negative study um, not uh, supported by Fontas and Pinal. So I excluded both of those studies um, as extreme outliers, and I came up with a mean effect size of 0.33. And if I'm being honest, that's the effect size I'm most comfortable um, using if I was trying to represent the overall impact of Fondas Pinal. Now on their website, Fondas and Pinal claims that all of their research shows that um, Fond or that LLI has a positive impact on students. And I have to agree with that. It seems quite clear that uh, their program is better than no program, meaning that if we have the choice of offering our students who have reading disabilities nothing, 
or if we have a chance of offering them LLI, they are better off receiving LLI than nothing. And I think that would be an unpopular thing to say in some phonics crowds. However, being positive isn't the metric by which we judge if something's evidence-based. Listeners of this podcast will know that there are statistical barriers we use to decide when something's evidence-based. So overall, we'd say anything with an effect size um, over 0.4 is approaching evidence-based because 0.4 is the average. Anything under is not evidence-based. Um, to clarify further, effect sizes between 0.59 to 0.4 are considered moderate. Effect sizes above that are considered high. Effect sizes um, between 0.2 and 0.4 or 0.39 are considered to be um, small but statistically significant. And effect sizes below 0.20 are seen as um, statistically insignificant. So I would say that there is a small to moderate effect size in favor of Fontes Panel, but that effect size does not justify it being called evidence-based. I'd also go a step further to say that there are a lot of other programs out there that are better than Fontes Panel's LLI. For example, as I said, LLI has an effect size of 0.33, whereas RTI has an effect size of 1.09. Repeated reading has an effect size of 0.75. Phonics on average has an effect size of 0.6, and you have to consider that Synthetic phonics has been shown to be better than regular phonics by a significant margin. And then morphology has an effect size of 0.58. So uh, all of those other programs I'm looking at also don't really require any special training for teachers to execute, with maybe the exception of RTI. Um, they also don't require purchasing any special materials or programs. They can just be done with teachers having a small amount of training that they could even do on their own. Um, so the fact that Fontes Pinal can't outperform um, simple interventions that a teacher can do in their classroom is very concerning to me um, when we claim that it's evidence-based, especially considering that Fontes Pinal is actually the most widely used literacy program on the planet. Um, I believe it's 24% of all English teachers worldwide uh, use LOI um, for their reading program. Um, I don't think there's any research out there to support that level of adoption. Um, furthermore, I think there's another confounding factor that you have to consider, and that's the fact that LLI is a small group intervention. And we know from research that small group instruction is better than large group instruction. So therefore, it's again, it's very unlikely that the actual interventions itself implemented in LLI, the strategies used, are even what's driving the majority of the results. Uh, so I therefore personally have to conclude that um, no schools should be spending the money on LLI unless it's the only program available to them. Anyways, uh, that's it for now, folks. And until next time, question everything, even this podcast. <laughs>